This podcast is brought to you by Erickson Immigration Group. Welcome to Immigration Nerds. Today we have Erickson Immigration Group's managing directors, Justin Parsons and Hippa Amber. With the new incoming president in January 2021, we discuss what immigration actions President-elect Joe Biden would like to accomplish in the next four years and obstacles that lay in the way, particularly travel ban measures, public charge, DACA, and increasing H-1B visa cap. I'm Ian Gaines. Come join us Beyond Borders. So now that we have a bit more clarity of who will be our president come January, assuming all goes to plan, I think it's necessary to discuss what the Biden administration has envisioned for their immigration policy, analyze possible pathways forward, and acknowledge any difficulties that may be encountered along the way. Um, So Justin, we can assume one of the first major immigration policy shifts during Trump's presidency were the three consecutive iterations of the travel bans during 2017. Um, Can we take a look back at that time and possibly what Biden may have in store to address these measures? Yeah, so, I mean, over the past four years, I think really it's, it was the three years, there were multiple iterations of the, the controversial Muslim travel ban. Um, I think the first one was rolled out pretty early on in the administration of Trump's administration. And obviously the first one was met with litigation and then struck down. And then the second one was rolled out and met with, uh, with litigation and struck down. And the third one was was rolled out and 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 more or less stuck, and I think the overall consensus with you know kind of looking back on this current administration is that they got better and better as the the years went on in terms of figuring out how to to pull the strings and to manipulate the immigration system to make it more difficult for not only undocumented folks but also um, legal highly skilled immigration as well. So. I think what we saw is um, the administration, particularly probably Stephen Miller, got better at at rolling out his immigration agenda. I think what we can see with at least the travel ban is that we know that Biden wants to, you know, and, and his folks they want to get rid of it immediately. Um, and I think with a lot of the, these policies that were implemented by Trump over the past four years, it's not really a matter of whether Biden wants to get rid of them or scrap them. It's more of a matter of how. I, but I think the, the Biden administration needs to be very careful about how they undo all these policies. Uh, but I think the, the the travel ban should be something that's pretty pretty straightforward, um, as long as there's justifications um, in terms of undoing that policy. I, I don't I don't really see a reason as to why that won't be implemented. You know, pretty pretty early on in the administration after January twentieth. Right. I mean, I agree with Justin. I think that um, you know the administration needs to be careful in terms of like how they decide to walk it back. I have also heard that this is a day one priority for the incoming president. I also think that it would be good for the industry as a whole to also take a look at some of the other existing executive orders that are in place that have restricted entry to the United States in the last year. You know, some of them are the result of COVID, um, but it seems that the current president took those COVID-related measures and entry restrictions a step further and used it as a tool to restrict uh, entry based on immigration status as well. 
So in some instances, the executive orders are scheduled to expire at the end of the year. In other instances, there is no clear expiration date. So what we also um, need to watch, and I'm personally very curious to see how this unfolds, is how some of the other executive orders are dealt with. You know, on the one hand, we're talking about orders that were put in place as a result of the administration's representation of safety in the time of COVID. But on the other hand, it is having a disproportionate impact on foreign nationals and their ability to re-enter the United States and rejoin positions and whatnot. And so um, I think that that should be key also in terms of, you know, the new president's immigration plan so that the um, companies that are currently struggling as a result of some of their foreign national employees' inability to re-enter the United States are able to kind of get past that difficulty. Right. Um, and the executive director of the National Immigration Law Center said that rescinding the travel ban is not a first 100 days goal for Biden, um, but a day one move. So we have that context and see um, how they move forward with that. Speaking of orders, public charge. Right. And HIBA specifically, we've done multiple <laughs> episodes on public charge and the, the criteria for them and back and forth. It, it seems like it was new regulation every couple of months. Um, so in this November, however, federal judge struck down the public charge rule saying the Trump administration violated the Administrative Procedure Act. But just to give context, in our last discussion, they talked about how this could be seen as a wealth test, right? Um, they wanted to collect information on people's student debt, their mortgage payments, uh, credit scores, just all the assets and, and liabilities. What was the administration trying to target at that time? So the public charge rule has been in effect for several decades. Mm -hmm. It's been part and parcel of the green card application process from the standpoint that the United States does not want to extend permanent residency to an individual that will ultimately become a ward of the state, right? So somebody who is unable to support themselves and ends up as a result availing themselves to public benefits. So there was always an element of um, inquiring into an applicant's financial situation that had been part of the green card process. And for family-based applications, there was an element of inquiring into the sponsor's financial situation to make sure that this person was able to actually support um, a permanent resident if they were going to go the added step of sponsoring them. What ended up happening uh, during the Trump administration was the manner in which public charge was defined and the manner in which that uh, analysis took place became a lot more strict. Um, and a lot of the uh, guidance to the adjudicating officers was revised to where, you know, um, applicants for a green card were having to provide evidence of some of the things that you mentioned, you know, so for example, going beyond just their pay stubs and tax returns, but having to provide their credit reports and evidence of their credit score, having to itemize their assets and liabilities, so on and so forth. Oh, the one thing that I would add, Ian, that I think is very important, you know, the ruling that came down over the weekend with regards to, to DACA, you know, essentially Chad Wolf has been, the argument is that he's not installed properly as the, the acting chief of, of the Department of Homeland Security. So the question is, is whether all of these rules and policies that, the, that were put in place under Cuccinelli and Chad Wolf are actually legal. 
And what we could see from now until January the 19th is that the administration try, could try to fix all those. But that's, I think that's a big wild card in terms of what happens with all these rules, whether they were in fact legal given Wolf's presence as, as the, the acting chief of, of DHS. Right, right. Well, speaking about DACA, let's move there. So protecting dreamers on September 5th, 2017, the memo from Homeland Security, Secretary Elaine Duke terminated DACA. So it left 650,000 undocumented immigrants without a program or any guidance. Um, so how is the Biden administration looking at this or potential actions to combat this? Yeah, I mean, I think DACA is, is probably of all these is probably the easiest fix you know, again, it's not a it's not a rule. It's a memo. It's it's deferred action, which means that any individual who was brought to the United States undocumented or overstayed their visa by their parents, who would otherwise meet the standards of DACA, the government would just not they would not essentially try to put these individuals in removal proceedings. You know, try to prosecute these individuals for being without uh, documentation, and ultimately, you know, the the original memo under Obama say that they could apply for an ED and then there was an advanced parole component as well too. So, I mean, I think this, this could be something that, that goes back easily to where um, it's just the policy of, of the Biden administration just to reinstall DACA pretty easily, allow individuals to you know, continue to you know, apply for renewals, their ED cards. I don't know whether they're gonna um, re-implement the advanced parole. I, I, don't, I don't know the answer to that, but I think that this is probably something that's uh, uh, probably a quick and easy fix um, and very good news for individuals who have previously applied for DACA. I don't know if there is a a pathway to citizenship without some sort of legislation. Depending upon the outcome of the Georgia elections, um, the runoffs for those two seats, uh, obviously if the Democrats don't you know, win those two seats, I don't really see a possibility of any sort of legislation. If the Republicans retain control of the Senate, um, I don't think Mitch McConnell is going to take votes on any sort of comprehensive immigration reform bill. I just, it's not going to happen. So the Biden administration is actually looking to increase the number of permanent work-based visas. Um, what's the likelihood of this happening procedurally? How can they go about this? Tell me what, what's the latest on that front. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think in terms of what I said before, which is that obviously we're in a position where I think we're probably hemorrhaging talent and entrepreneurship to Canada right now, whether people in the United States want to admit that or not. Um, I think there is a, a large contingent of, you know, potential new CEOs and whatnot to Canada every single day. You know, there are things that the, the current that, that the Biden administration would want to do in terms of increasing visa numbers, making entrepreneurship um, easier for for um, for immigrants, you know, uh, making things easier for for folks who want to invest in the United States from other countries to start companies. But again, all these things have to be done through um, through legislation and bills. And it will take, you know, depending upon. The, the results of the the Georgia the Georgia runoff um, it will take the Senate you know to to take up bills and, and to you know to run these bills and vote on them so the question is is how much can be done I think I think there's there can be done stuff can be done from a, 
bit of a policy perspective, maybe undoing EOs, but I just don't know how much progressive immigration policies are going to get accomplished by Biden, you know, in the next four years. And, and ultimately, we'll have to see 2022 in terms of House races or, or Senate races as well. It's kind of gotten lost in terms of the talk about, you know, the Muslim ban and DACA, which I, I think are probably the most two important things um, in terms of to undo. But one of the things that kind of hasn't gotten enough kind of press and publicity is the H4ED. You know, there's probably over 100,000 spouses who work in the H4ED, and that has been kind of under the gun, you know, the past four years. Um, so I think ultimately the H4ED survives for another four more years under the under the Biden administration. I also think something that's important as well to point out, um, you know, all, all this talk about that the current administration was focused on foreign students and eliminating you know, the duration of, of OPT from maybe three years to one year and or just an attack on like foreign students. Um, I think that, you know, kind of goes back to normal to a policy where we actually want our universities to attract foreign students. I mean, foreign students, not only do they bring, you know, entrepreneurship and, and a lot to the country, but also for universities, we're talking about, um, you know, revenue for, for foreign students as well. A large portion of, you know, the colleges and universities in the U.S., you know, rely on uh, foreign students. For, yeah. yeah. So we're talking about, you know, the more that, mm -hmm. that universities can attract foreign students, the more that helps pay professors, the more that helps universities. Um, so I think those two things kind of maybe get overlooked. Um, so there's just a lot to talk about in terms of, um, a lot of work that, 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 that Biden has to do. I do think, though, that at least a lot of the, the articles in the press and, and, and what we're hearing is that the administration realizes that immigration is something they really have to focus on and not deprioritize in order to kind of get things back, back on track for the U.S. Thank you to Lee Researcher, Con Branch, Assistant Producers Luke Bianco and David White, and music by Brandon Williams. Follow Immigration Nerds on Twitter at IMMNerds and Erickson Immigration Group on LinkedIn to join in the conversation. I'm Ian Gaines. See you next week.